The Theonauts, episode 125. The one where I spit in David's eyes trying to say... <laughs> Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo Revivalists out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the Theonauts! Dude. We don't even say anything. We got it good. All right. So, hi, David. How are you? <laughs> it's amazing. How are you doing? I'm, I'm amazed. I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm amazing, and you're amazed. Yes, both, both of those things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a Monday night, and here we are doing Theonauts. It, it is Monday. How was your Monday? It uh, was uh, rough, but, yeah. you know, hey. Gets, Monday's Monday's behind me now. That's right. So that, that, it can only get better from here. That's why we're doing Theonauts. We got to pump ourselves yes, back up. We got to get jazzed. get excited. So I hope you're excited out there listening as we are about discussing <laughs> and everything that's going on uh, in that book. And uh, so, so how's your life today? Good. Kids. Yeah. They're you know it's spring. kid right? Yeah, kid. No kids. School. Oh, the, the boys too. Yeah, it's uh, no. Students. Oh, those kids. Kids. Yeah, yeah. The kids that you work with. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's it's spring break is right around the corner. Yeah. So they're just Oh, they're up. antsy. hmm They're ready to, to go. They would think they, they would think it's spring break right now, even though I'm trying to test them and do all this stuff. Because it's also the end of the nine weeks. So Well, <sighs> I got to spend the weekend with my grandsons. Oh yeah. So that's always fun. Yeah, yeah. what'd you do? Well, we just kind of hung out, really. Uh, we went on a hike. Like, uh, you know, of course, we live near some... We've got some acreage, and there's some acreage next to us that's kind of... I wouldn't say unclaimed. It is definitely claimed, but uh, we still wander on it. Right. <laughs> and so uh, there's a, a little lake over there. And so we wandered around the lake a little bit. Sploring. Uh, Sploring? Sploring. Going and sploring. Yeah. So, uh, and of course, these little... Two year old, two and a half year old, three year old boys, you know, trucking along, little legs going as fast as they can go. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, and uh, it wore them out really good, dude. My uh, my my grandson Jesse, he is like such a whiz bang at this point. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, and I was telling you this the other night, but he can quote Jabberwocky by. <laughs> Was brillig in the Mimsy whatevers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and it's it's like. Uh, and how old is he? Two, three, three. Oh my goodness! Yeah. It can't even read, but he can quote Jabberwocky by heart that entire, which is like seventy percent nonsensical words. Yes, completely <laughs> made up stuff. Oh, frabjous day, Karukure. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's. Right, <laughs> and uh, it's so funny listening to him. He's like the it's teeth that like... bite and the claws that snatch. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine what's going on in his little three-year-old mind, imagining this Jabberwocky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Wow, that's so cool. And even not knowing what the words even mean, I'm sure he's got meanings. Right. It's so funny. The kid, I'm thinking, it's like, of course, all parents and grandparents think this about their kids. Sure. They're the smartest ones, and they're the blah, blah, blah. But this one really is the smartest <laughs> one. That's what you're about to say, aren't you? But the things that just blow me away, I mean, these are things I know I didn't do as a child. I'll just put it that way, okay? Like, he has, he is, I kind of feel sorry for Mandy and Steven because he's got this OCD thing about him. So, like, uh, you know, for his birthday, he got this box of cars from the movie Cars. Right. It's like a box, and you can put, you know, you take the little cars out and play with them, and you put them back in the box. Yeah. But he knows... Where which one of the slots in the box, every one of those cars, Houses which car goes in? And if you, I would just for fun switch two of them and watch him, and he'd reach over there and switch them back. I'd switch two more, and he'd reach over there and switch them back. Oh my goodness! I mean, he's very like they have a Sheldon Cooper on their hands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was talking to Stephen about it, and he was like, "Dude, he has all his bedtime stories memorized." He's like, "So I can sit there," and he says, "I will purposefully reverse." Two words or whatever <laughs> in the story. He'll say, no, no, daddy. And he'll correct me every time. Wow. So anyway, we had fun this weekend. Um, That's crazy. Just hanging with him, playing with him. And uh, of course, you know, Shepard's right the opposite. He's just like, no cares in the world whatsoever. Right. You know, I mean, he's just happy to be alive. Sure. <laughs> it's so amazing. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Jesse's picky, doesn't want to get his hands dirty. I mean, he's like, it's all this. Shepard's like cramming things in his face. He doesn't care what you put in his plate. He's eating it. I mean, he's just like all sure. over the place. Snot, yeah. everything. I mean, he's a oh boy. It's so awesome. I love it. That's so fun. Yeah, I just love being kind of young and being a granddad. Sure. Because I can still like get the floor and wrestle with them. Right. And toss them around. And they were like, uh, yeah, they'd come running and like dive on me. And yeah. It was. We had a really good time. Special time. Yeah. That's awesome. So if you don't have grandkids, go out and get some. Yeah. (laughs) It'll be a while for me. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be, what, 50 when she's graduating high school? Yeah. Gosh. Makes you feel old. Yeah. It's not that old. 50's not not that old. No. (laughs) I like how you're staring at me with this dead eye, like whatever whatever you say. (laughs) I'm 30. You know, I'll be 35 next week. 35 years old, David. See, me and Michael have to stick together with this ageism issue. Yeah. You know? Of course, you're a lot older than Brendan, too. Yeah. So, you know, he gets it worse than I do. What is what is Brendan? How old is he? 23? I don't know, Brendan. You have to tell us how old you are. I think he's I think he's about 10 years younger than you. Yeah. 23 going on. 12? <laughs> Kid? No. <Nah. laughs> Anyways, Secret Fire podcast is going really well. Yeah. Yeah. I've been enjoying it. I've, I'm, I'm about... Well, I'm about one and a half episodes behind. Oh, yeah? Because I had to jump over. It's like my listening time is not... I don't have a whole lot of time, just sure. you know, that time in the car. And uh, so right now, man, I, I'm behind on Finding Christ in Cinema. I'm trying to ca- get caught up on all that. The Super 8 episode, oh, guys, wow. I didn't hear it. I, didn't. I, I love that movie, by the way. Yeah, Sup- it's a great movie. Super 8 is a great movie. Well, it's, you would love it because it harkens back to your uh, Yeah, yeah. Spielberg it's it's days. like when I was a kid, eight, right. nine years old. I'm the kids in the movie. Right. Except, well, minus the language. 
and the alien. Yeah, I wasn't cussing like that as a kid, but yeah. but yeah, the oh, that's exactly my stick. Whenever I was a kid, riding on the bikes, yeah, you know, making movies. Me and my friend, we had a, like a Panasonic tape recorder. We would do audio dramas wow. that we created yeah. on our own. So it was the same thing. I mean, I relate to that movie on so many dadgum levels, <laughs> and the guys just nailed that episode. Really? Like, it's about forgiveness. And there's all this talk of forgiveness in it. And the kids have to exemplify forgiveness for the for the adults to get it. It's a great message. It's really good. But uh, anyway, did you know that they're now broadcasting that uh, Finding Christ in Cinema on the, radio. on the radio? That's right. They're in At Tennessee. a local radio station. Yeah, congrats, guys. Finding Christ. That's which awesome. Is, it, how amazing would it be to be driving down the road and turn it on and... Yeah, I've been playing on the radio. So, congrats, Michael and Brendan, for all your hard work. It's paying off. Yeah. Cool. So, if you listeners out there who don't listen to Finding Cross and Cinema, get over there and check it out. Check out the Secret Park podcast as yeah, well. Definitely. So, are you ready to jump into this thing? Hey, let's do it, man. I'm still trying to figure out where my buttons are on this new thing. There you go. There's one. There's one. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to continue on with our uh, minor prophet theme. Our expositional study of minor prophets. Expositional study of minor prophets. And this one brings us to the little book of Habakkuk. Three chapters long. So what's your favorite pronunciation of it? Habakkuk or Habakkuk? Okay, so... Or... <laughs> go ahead. Honestly, I never even heard Habakkuk until I... I think I met you. Hmm. Or maybe a little bit before I don't that. even know how I say it. Is that how I say it? Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or somebody, maybe Kevin said Habakkuk. And I'm like, who? <laughs> but, I, yeah, I just grew up going Habakkuk. Oh, gotcha. It's Put like the it, emphasis on the like, syllable. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of that going on in the Bible, if you think about it. Oh, yeah. Philemon, Philemon. 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 That's what I say. <laughs> Philemon. I think there's a third one there too. <laughs> That's so Philemon. 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 Um, what even? What's a Philemon, David? That <laughs> it's make... like, kind of like a Pokemon. <laughs> uh, so... Gotta catch them all. <laughs> That's true. He's Unless a slave. He's a runaway not? slave. Yeah, Gotta catch them all. Catch them all. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's way too late. Go Philemon. <laughs> yeah, it's way too late. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer Habakkuk, I guess. Okay. Because it's like, that's probably the way I've always said it. <coughs> it's probably, if we want to get Hebraic, I'm, I'm just kind of <laughs> thinking, yeah, you got to get that in there. You got to get the Haba, in the back of the Haka. Habakkuk is probably more. Habakkuk. But, you know, who who knows? We're not Hebrews. No. So There's we're, a Greek. we're Gentiles and you have to have mercy on us. The Greek. Uh, pronunciation. The Greek book is called the Greek and Bakum. What? Am Ambakum. Ambakum. Okay. A M B A K O U M. I'm gonna blow that one. There's a yeah. There's a Greek pronunciation. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to like one of the things that I think is cool about this book is well, first off, let's give a kind of a historical synopsis. Of All right, bring it on. Okay, so. Uh, we don't really know. Scholars don't really know the exact time. Nope. 
that this book was written. Yeah. Do you notice a theme developing, by the way, with that? Yeah. But go yeah. ahead. So, But we're guessing. Yes. And uh, so by the best guess, because of the context, we're talking about the Chaldeans. God actually tells Habakkuk that, there is, that the Chaldeans are going to be his judgment against Israel. Future. Okay, so the Chaldeans, in other words, are the Babylonians. Right. It's the same, well, it's roughly the same group of people. Uh, they are a subpart. The Babylonians were sub, what were part of the Chaldean uh, tribes. So this is more or less talking about the judgment of Babylon conquering Israel. Yeah, Babylon is kind of the descendants of Chaldeans. Okay, so, so that, yeah, so that makes Habakkuk a contemporary with Jeremiah, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. um, Ezekiel, mm-hmm. maybe Dan- Ezekiel and Daniel. Yeah, we um, think Daniel more than we have. <clears throat> we have reference of Daniel. So. We yeah, we do, and we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, there is um, oh, let's see, this term. Oh, hang on a second. So this would put it if 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 it was pre. Babylonian conquer, then we're thinking somewhere around 600 and I got it written down here somewhere, 620 BC. Yeah. I had between um, as, as late as 620, no, as, yeah, as late as 626, as early as 605. Yeah. Okay. So let's set the stage of what's going on in Israel during that time frame. Okay. Okay. So during that time frame, we are in the worst part of of Judah's history. Yeah. We are... So Israel is divided at this point. Well, they just became decrepit and destroyed. They divided into the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? You had Judah and you had Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, So Israel is north, up in the Dan area. Right. And uh, not doing... Not faring well. The Assyrians are conquering them, probably in the same Beating them up all the time, yeah. And... uh, and so now the Babylonians ended up okay. The Assyrians were the were really the first world order that took over here, right? And then the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians, right? Okay, so the Babylonians, or the Assyrians, conquered the northern nation of Israel first, and then the southern the southern kingdom, which is uh, more commonly referred to as Judah. Mm-hmm. So the the kingdom of Judah lasted. Until uh, much later, like 580 or so BC, before right. they were conquered by the Babylonians, uh, which is during the time of it's all recorded in the book of Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. So Jeremiah is basically the prophet that is given to Israel to say, "You guys are screwing up, and God's about to inflict some retribution on you." And then Jeremiah is the book where God does inflict the retribution, and Jeremiah mm-hmm. says, "See, I told you." <laughs> <laughs> right. God was going to inflict the retribution. <clears throat> so this is predating that just a little bit. Yeah. Because this is a prophecy. Now the 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 interesting thing about this book is it's not just a prophecy. Most prophecies are directed to the nation. Right. It's like so the the way it works is uh God gets a man and it's his prophet. Mm-hmm. He speaks to that man that mountain that as God's mouthpiece. So the idea is what the man says is is what God is saying mm-hmm. to the right. people, and so the prophet will say, "Hero Israel, you know, listen yes. to the words we're say that God has said," and then he'll give his spiel. But Habakkuk is written a little bit differently. Yeah, this book is totally different. Like yeah. it's like okay, for one, 
he refers to himself as a prophet throughout yeah. the book. That's a very uncommon thing. Right. You don't really have these other prophets saying the prophet Nahum or whatever. I mean, you've got like, but Habakkuk refers to himself as a prophet. Yeah. And he is, this is a conversation with him and God. And it's a, in fact, it's a wrestling with God is yes. what it is. Because Habakkuk is is um, questioning God, and his re- really the the point of the, the key points to the book are um, it's about God's mercy, because Habakkuk is saying, "Where are you? We are in the worst times in our history, and we don't see you. Yeah. You're not you're not responding to our prayers." We're praying for, we're being afflicted on every side. We have the Syrians to the north. We have the Babylonians to the south. We have all these things that are afflicting us. Evil is around us on every side, and you're nowhere to be found. Yeah. And um, it is, so there is this message that God is merciful even when we are in uh, a place where we can't understand it. Right. So the the book is written. It's it's very short book, but the first two chapters, three chapters, yep, yeah, the first two chapters are basically question and answer form. Mm-hmm. So Habakkuk brings this complaint before God. Yes, and it's boldly, almost, yeah, boldly brings a complaint <laughs> before God. It's almost like he's accusing God of turning his back on them, and not only that, but allowing evil to happen without judgment. Yes, so he's complaining to God, <clears throat> and then God is answering. Habakkuk's complaint. Yes. Um, And if anybody ever, this is one thing that I take out of this, if anybody ever argues about questioning God or complaining to God, this would be a good book to bring up to them. Yes. Habakkuk did that. It's a small version of Job in in a lot of aspects. Yeah. Uh, Habakkuk obviously is not undergoing the the trials that Job underwent, but he is... Doing the same thing that Job did in the middle of the book of Job, and that is he is demanding audience of God, and he's wanting to know why God's not answering the prayers. And so one of the things that this book also does is it teaches that wickedness will not go unpunished. So God uses a wicked nation to bring judgment upon his own people who are at this time wicked. Let's not forget that. That's one of the things that I think that Habakkuk is kind of overlooking a little bit. He's wanting to give his own people a pass because they're God's chosen people. Mm. But the the reality is this is the this is the kingdom of Manasseh. Yeah. This is the kingdom of the guys who were sacrificing their children to Moloch. Right. Okay, this is not... This is an evil kingdom. This is an evil kingdom, and they are in a bad place. Even though they are God's chosen people, they've totally left God. They've totally... uh, To them, Yahweh is no more than another God in a list of... A Baal. Yeah, in in their uh, pantheon that they've created, that they've adopted from all these other nations around them. Right. And so... What we're seeing here is God's judgment. Yeah. Being afflicted on it and letting him know, no, I am, I am, and you will acknowledge this. Right. And I'm going to do that through these wicked nations. But he's but he gives the promise, 
but woe unto those wicked nations that I am using, they will get theirs too. Right. So let's jump into it a little bit. Let's look at chapter one real quick and just okay. and read. Do you want to do like, uh, do you want to do Habakkuk and me do God or vice versa? I'll do Habakkuk, you okay. do God. That's cool. That okay, so fun. you get the first uh, four <laughs> verses then. All right. Of chapter one. <clears throat> I got to get the voice right. The, <laughs> is, no, there, I'm is there a voice? <laughs> there's a voice over Because here. if there's a voice for God, I'm totally I'm totally <laughs> missing it. I'm totally losing it. Isn't there a, what's the automatron or whatever? <laughs> I'm joking. Okay. Tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton. That's yeah. I knew it was something like that. Yeah. Optimus Primaton. <laughs> something like that. Okay, here we go. Uh verse one. The oracle of Habakkuk the prophet saw. Verse two. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why did you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? (laughs) Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Okay, so God answers this. Ooh. Wow. So that you have this stinging uh, charge. Who is the God of justice? Who is the God of the law? Right? Mm-hmm. Who's the God of righteousness? And and here Habakkuk is saying your justice is perverted. Yeah. Okay, and I wanted to just say, Lord, the, the Lord is about to answer, and just in the tone, you can hear the mercy. You can hear the grace because if I was this man's God, right? In this, <laughs> I mean, this is the guy who told Job, Who are you? Stand like Shut a man up and listen yeah. to this and, and answer me like a right, man. Okay. Exactly. But anyway, the Lord doesn't do this to Habakkuk. He says in verse five, Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Hmm. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome, and their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Okay, so he doesn't even answer the question. No, he just (laughs) describes the Chaldeans. He basically says, okay, look. I'm about to send some bad dudes into your midst. Right. And they are just going to wreak havoc on you. Get ready. And he's like, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's that's what he's saying. Basically. He's like, you think it's bad now? You think those Assyrians just up north yeah. are bad? Wait till you see these guys. Right. And so, I mean, if you stop and think about, oh, and this is also really cool because God predicts 
very well who these Babylonians are. Let's remember the Babylonians haven't even really formed cohesively as of this point, if right. we are looking at 620-ish. Right. They're not really there yet, but he's describing them in the past tense like they're already there and they're already ready to conquer. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Wow. It's pretty powerful. Okay, uh, yeah, and I love the uh, the last line line uh, in verse 11, whose own might is their God. Oh, yes, yes. Um, because it's a good good picture of a surrendered man versus a man who's who's trusting in his own power. Mm-hmm. What happened to the Babylonians in the end? Yes, they got their own. They got they their got, own. They, they, they were they, all destroyed. They got what was coming to them. And the, the idea here is, you know, they're trusting in their own power, their own might. Uh, and right now it's doing them some good. Mm-hmm. But you know what? One day they're going to get old manish. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> right. One day they're not going to be able right. to handle it. So anyways. So we see here another key point of the of the book also is that God may use wickedness to punish, but ultimately he will judge them all. Right. That's so even though he is using this is one of those things, and this gets into we had discussions like this before on the show. Yeah. About God's sovereignty, about God's judgment in in the in these instances and, and what he's controlling and what he's behind and and that sort of thing. And in this particular case, for sure, he's definitely using a wicked thing right. to take care of his righteous will, and which is really weird. It's hard for us to get our minds around. Mm. But we have to be careful. We can't always assume that that's what's going on. <laughs> that's All right. Okay, so uh, Habakkuk's second p- complaint begins yep. in verse 12. He answers back to him. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You are of purer eyes than to see evil, and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors, and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in the in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly, mercilessly killing nations forever? Go ahead and get the next uh, verse there, too. Okay. Oh, yeah, there's a bed breaking it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out and see that he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Wow. Okay, so there's all kinds of stuff going on in this yeah. passage. He uses a really interesting analogy. Yes. Of fish and fishermen and all that. And there's, I, But there's actually some historical reference to this. The Babylonians actually did this. And, and I don't know how Habakkuk kind of had the foresight, you know, to use this analogy, or maybe it was, you know, given to him or whatever. But they would, to humiliate their captives, they would hook them in the nose. And drag them away wow. with, with hooks in their nose. They would also, there are actually uh, uh, these reliefs that have been carved into stone of Babylonian uh, conquering peoples. 
and they would actually put them in nets and carry them, carry them. in wow. nets. So there is this fish fisherman this picture thing going yeah. on, and he's like, "You've created. A, you treat people like they're fish. You create. You treat people like they're a bunch of insects, right? That are just crawling around under your feet, right? Wow. I mean, it takes some. Uh, what's the Guts. What, what's the Jewish word? Hutzfah. Uh, Hutzfah. <laughs> it takes some hutzpah. It's to, a little hutzpah. To, 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 to Some matzah balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. To br- <laughs> anyway, to bring this into the, the... To bring it up to God like this and to complain to him in such a way is, okay, there are uh, all this stuff going on where he's saying, look, okay, for one, I want to notice this. He says, why do you idly... Okay, first, well, let me back up a little more because there's all kinds of points to make here. Okay, so he <laughs> says, right, so he says, for one, you can't look upon evil, right? He makes this... Habakkuk is not a dumb guy. Right. He gets God. Yeah. Like, he gets God in a big way. He understands God's holiness. He understands God's righteousness and all this sort of thing. And he basically says... You can't look upon sin. Like, wh- what are you doing? You turn your face to sin. Right. So why are you watching these sinners as they attack us when we're more holy than they are? Right. Which is an overstatement. Yeah, absolutely. They were just as sinful. Yeah. And, well, for one, we're also operating under the human mindset that sin somehow has a bunch of levels to God. Right. And that he somehow sees one sin greater than another. And that may be true in some instances as far as reward and and punishment. But James tells us if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. Guilty is guilty. Sinner is a sinner. And looking at sin is looking at sin. And, I mean, I think that Habakkuk, Habakkuk's wisdom here in his understanding of God actually foreshadows the very the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, the sky goes dark in the middle of the day. Right. And I think that one of those the reasons for that, I think it's exactly this. Jesus was becoming sin. And so God that turned That's his so face true. from him. Yeah. And which also hearkens the cry, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? me? Yeah. You've turned your back on me because he became sin. Mm. And Habakkuk says here, you can't even look at at wrong. Why do you idly look at these traitors and remain silent as the wicked swallows up people that are more righteous? Wow. Um, I think God would have something to say about that statement, about them being more righteous. They were actually sacrificing their children at this point yeah. uh, to a pagan god. Um, and which, by the way, the whole name of hell that Jesus created, Gehenna, Gehenna, comes from what they were practicing at this point. They were sacrificing their children in this valley of Hinnom. Right. And that is what led to Jesus referring to it as hell, hell. The, the fire that never goes nice. out. Mm-hmm. Their actions this day are echoing way into the future. Yeah. And so they're not innocent in any way. They're not more righteous than those that are being, that are conquering them. Um, also like at the end of here, what he says, he says, I will take up my stand <laughs> at my watch post. It's almost like <laughs> mic drop, right? Yep. 
<laughs> All right. I'm listening. What do you got to say now? <laughs> He's like, I'm going up to the tower, and I'm going to see if God has anything to say to that. Right. <laughs> wow. It's well, he, he has a little to say. Never get in an, into an epic rap battle with God. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Okay, so the Lord actually answers. He says, the Lord answered him, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. <laughs> Dude, oh. God starts, this, uh, he starts the conversation like this, you know it's coming. Right. Right? <laughs> He says, you got your pen. I want you to pull it out because you need to write Put this, this down. stuff down yeah. that I'm about to say. So, so that whoever reads it will run in fear. <laughs> fear as soon as they do. Whew. So he says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. <laughs> it will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. This is the key verse in this entire book. Yes, if you forget every other verse in this book, remember this one. This is the key verse. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I want to also say that one of the things I think God is, is making reference to, he's talking to Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, you. I've been patient with you, and you, and you've given me this 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 charge. You've gone up into this tower, and you've you're waiting on my answer. the The problem is, your soul is puffed up. Yeah, it is not upright within you. The righteous shall live by faith. In other words, take a look around. You just said that the righteous people of this land were being overrun by evil. You need to take a second look. He says, because the righteous people will live by faith. There are no righteous people around here right now. Right. And that's what his message is. He's saying, you you puffed up person who thinks that you're righteous mm-hmm. are righteous in your own eyes. Yes. You're only righteous because you think I've got favor on you because you're my chosen people. No. But the idea, <laughs> and this, this faith thing plays out throughout the New Testament. I was just... Um, I was uh, finishing up Ephesians uh, chapter five, chapter six, with my uh, with my kiddos, my youth. Yes, Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were talking about the uh, uh, the uh, the armor of God. Yes, and one of the things that it says is <clears throat> above all, pick up the shield of faith. Mm. That little term above mm-hmm. all, meaning more important than anything else. Yeah. Grab the shield of faith because Dude. this is your protection. Doesn't that echo into the the message we heard Sunday? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. That 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 the only thing that matters is faith. Is faith expressing itself in love? Love, and it's only through that grace of Jesus that we can have that. The only thing that matters. And so this is something that echoes throughout that Jesus speaks of over mm-hmm. and over again about faith. Mm-hmm. You had faith, the you know the size of a mustard seed. Yes, you'd be able to say move to a mountain, and that that whole idea of this this whole faith, trusting God in the midst of the worst thing that can happen in your life. So here Habakkuk is, and he's crying out, "God, yeah. you're not probably gonna... the worst place he's ever been in his life." Exactly, mm-hmm. and God says, "You want to talk about righteousness? Righteousness is yes. trusting me." Behold, his soul is puffed up; it's not upright within him. 
but the righteous shall live by faith. Mm. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Um, Interesting turn. I love this. Um, what he's doing is he's making a comparison here. People know what what alcohol can do if let go, right? right? I mean, people experience this stuff. Sure. And don't get this wrong. God is not preaching against alcohol in this passage. He's using it as a metaphor for what his people are going through. Right. He's He says... Uh, wine is a traitor. In other words, it seems to comfort, but it will bring your destruction. And so what is he, he comparing it to? He's comparing it to the arrogance that, that Habakkuk just yeah. laid on the, on the floor. He, he said, uh, moreover, wine is a traitor, traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale. Shale is the Hebrew concept of the, the domain of the dead. Right. So this is where in their, in their time where they, they know that the, the dead are resting in shale. And, uh, so he's like, think about all the dead people who have ever existed on the earth at this point. They, that's a wide place that holds all them. And, and um, this, you, just like wine is a traitor, so is your arrogance as being uh, a traitor. It's as big as this. To yeah. you, like death, he never has enough. And man, that is so telling. We, even like... The the nature of man has not changed a lick since this. Our arrogance, our pride, our self-righteousness, yeah. still in the same place that Habakkuk was at this time. Right. And he says he gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. No one is um no one is immune to this type of thing. Right. So uh let's finish the chapter here. Uh, because he basically then God shifts and says, look, okay, I'm using these Chaldeans and they're going to come and they're going to wreak havoc on you. But you know what? I am going to take care of them too. Right. Your question was, how can you, God, look, use, look at these evil people, consume your loved ones, consume these other people? And his response is, it's okay because they will get their own. Right. Wickedness will not go unpunished. unpunished. Yeah. So he begins here in verse six and he says, Shall not all of these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house and to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. 
for the stone will cry out to the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire Hmm. and nations wearying themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in your order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. <laughs> the cup in the Lord's right the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to the wooden thing, Awake to the silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So he kind of ends this thing with this conversation with Habakkuk saying, look, chill. This is going to hurt. It's going to hurt you more than it hurts me, right? Or hurt me more than it hurts you. Type right. of but but what he does is says, he basically talks to the Babylonians who aren't even really in existence yet. Right. And he, and he is so telling here, he, uh, woe to him who builds a tower with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Man, Babylon was like... The greatest city. The, the epitome of this. Yeah. It was... It was uh, Babylon was one of the greatest fortified cities ever to exist. It was built on the on the river Euphrates. It had a wall that went around it large enough to drive four chariots side by side on the on the top of the wall all the way around. This place was a fortress. It was one of the greatest uh the seven wonders of the world, man-made right. wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. This was like the epitome of, of wealth and glory and power. Everything man can accomplish on his own. Yes. And so, um, but what does God say to that? The stones will cry out from the wall. The beams will cry out from their woodwork and respond. So the, he's basically saying none of this means anything. Right. And no matter how great this empire appears, no matter how bad it looks for you, know that these are godless pagans. And I know that. And they will receive their recompense. Right. That's the, that's the reality. That's what Habakkuk needs to realize, and that's what we need to realize, is that we know the end. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, God always gets right. justice in the end. Yes. And these people always fail. Always. It may look like they're winning, mm-hmm. but they fail. And and so here's the here's some some things to consider. You tell you tell a guy like Habak- Habakkuk to be patient, right? Let's assume this was six hundred and twenty BC. Do you know when 
Do you know when Babylon fell? 540. That's almost, well, that is 100 years. Yeah. That's more than 100 years later. Right. Before they finally did receive the recompense. He's promising Habakkuk here. Habakkuk, you know, may have, may or may not have lived to that point. If Bell and the Dragon is right, and we'll get to that in just a second, then he lived past this time. Right. He lived into the time of the of the um, the Medo Persians who took over for Babylon. And so, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that for a second, because it's weird. Because it, well, it ties into what God is saying here. Sure, God ends this chapter, chapter two, by saying. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Okay, God is like, he's, he's saying, look, I'm not having mercy on these guys. They're <laughs> pagan worshipers. Right. There is an apocryphal book, it's in the Apocrypha, called Bell and the Dragon. Now, this, this, this book is, I mean, I don't consider it scripture. It's an offshoot of Daniel. It is. It's considered, uh, it's in, the Greek, in some of the Greek versions it is actually at the end of Daniel. Right. So um, it's a very, very short apocryphal book. If you've got access to the apocrypha, you can read it in, in half hour or less. It is 40 verses long. And basically... It's a here, great story. Here's the story of it. It takes place after the time of Darius the Persian. Right. Okay, so Daniel survived Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, okay. Bel- Belteshazzar or Belshazzar, Belshazzar, and then is uh, the the nation of Babylon falls to the Persians, who dam up the river Euphrates and attack the city through the moat. Right, and no one even knows that they're being attacked. Really, the right. king gets slaughtered in his chamber. Yeah, and Josephus writes that Daniel met. Darius at the gate and showed him the book of Isaiah, the prophecy. chapter chapter forty five, where he mentions Cyrus the Persian by, by name. name. Yeah. Okay. Well, Cyrus can be a title, and I'm really not sure. There's some historical weirdness happening here. But anyway, the king is so impressed yeah. that he's written in this book that he makes Daniel his soothsayer and his his right. prophet. Right. So Daniel's on the court of the of the Persians at this point. Well, after Darius, okay, well, Darius is the time frame of you guys all know Daniel and the lion's den. Right. That have that story happens during Darius's reign. Right. So, after Darius, you have this this other king whose name is uh uh Astyagus. And uh he is uh after Cyrus uh Cyrus the Persian. And uh, so the Bell and the Dragon story takes place during this king. Right. And apparently in this king, he still is trusting in Daniel, but Daniel won't worship Baal. Uh, you have Bell, B-E-L, in, that's part of the title of this book. I believe this is probably the same false uh, pagan god that we now call Baal, B-A-A-L. But right. uh, anyway, so the king is impressed that the prophets of Baal are basically, uh, they're feeding him every night. This idol. They've got this idol set up in the temple, and they lay food before it every night. And 
They're, and the king is impressed because they close the temple doors, they open it up the next morning, the food's gone. Right. And so the king is like, wow, this Baal guy is a real dude. And Daniel's like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so this kind of makes the king mad. And he's like, okay, well, here's the deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you to a test. We'll seal the door of the temple. If Baal consumes the food, right. then we'll kill you. Yeah. If Baal can't consume the food, we'll kill all the prophets of Baal and his families. Daniel's like, you're on. So they they set this up, and uh, uh, apparently the prophets of Baal didn't have a problem at all with this, and um, because they had a secret door in the temple that they would come in from the uh, from the, the underground from the basement. Uh-huh. Well, Daniel sprinkles ashes in the temple before he closes it and seals it, and they don't know this. So it, the next morning, the king comes up, and they go to the temple, and they're like, hey, the 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 seal's not broken. Daniel's like, nope, sure isn't. They break it open. All the food's gone. Right. And uh, King's like, whoa, looks like <laughs> Baal came through. And Daniel's like, nope, check out the ground, dude. Look at all the footprints and the ashes I put down there. And he's like, oh, he sees these women and children's footprints. The the wives and the and the children of of all the prophets, they all came in and they ate the food right. <laughs> overnight. And so this affirmed God to him. Sure. Well, in a way. And then they were like, oh, okay, well, what about this dragon? We worship him. And apparently I, it's kind of unclear whether that was a snake or a lizard or whatever they were worshiping. And <laughs> Daniel mixes up this concoction and says, if I feed this to him, if he's a God, he's not going to die, right? <laughs> So, they, so he fed it to the thing, and the thing died, burst open. Sure. And they were like, oh, okay, well, I guess God is real. And this made all the people mad. And so they threw Daniel into another den of lions. <laughs> well, Been there, done that. Here's why we even brought this, this, uh, this book up. Because then it says that Habakkuk was then transported. Yeah, he was in Jerusalem. Making himself some stew. Yeah, he was chilling. He was chilling, making himself some stew, and the, an angel popped up, and, and the angel's like, hey, Daniel needs some of that stew. He's hungry. <laughs> and Habakkuk's like, well, I don't I don't even know like, where Daniel's at. He's like, well, th- don't worry about that. I'm an angel. Right. Yeah, hang on. Hang on. So he pops him over. Yeah, grabs takes, him by the head of the hair. Right, by the <laughs> head of the hair. <laughs> takes him to the lion's den. Where he gets to feed the stew to Daniel and then pops him back. Yeah, just so outside of the scriptures, this is the only reference to Habakkuk. Part of he's like, God's like, hey Habakkuk, you want to see Habakkuk? You want to see a real, you know, prophet fighting for me? <laughs> Check this guy out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the thing that I think is is cool about that story is it fits into this. Like right here, when he is when he is giving, he talks about idolatry. He talks about how idols are just. Uh, he says right here that the, they trust in their own creations. They're nothing more than silent stone that they're made out of. They're overlaid with gold and silver. These are almost the exact words from Bell and the Dragon when Daniel's talking to right. the king. He says it's nothing but clay with gold over it. Why are you freaking out? <laughs> so anyway. Uh, so basically, this convinces Habakkuk, and right. ha- and Habakkuk has a change of heart, which I think is another very great point about this book. It's about conversion, yeah. in a way, because this man of God, he was a man of God, yeah, receives another conversion, one that makes him more trusting, more faithful, yeah, 
and all this. Well, yeah, and chapter three is is simply a psalm. He mm-hmm. busts out in music, and uh, and actually, uh, it's just he's a great response. So let's read that. Okay. <clears throat> oh Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, and the Holy One from the Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations, and the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from the from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. The mountains saw you and withered. Uh, I'm sorry, writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. And the light of your arrows as they sped, and the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. (laughs) Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind and to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour, to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Mm. <laughs> In other words, you're going to use all these people to destroy us, and then I'm going to wait for... And I'm going to praise you the entire time. Exactly. Because I know it's coming. I know that, they will, that we will be delivered. Yeah. A hundred years later. Yeah. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So the thing that I just love about, this is a complete turnaround. Habakkuk makes a, a 180. Yeah, he does. Here. He goes from where are you at, God? All of a sudden to being like, I don't, I don't care if I can't see the end of this. I know who you are. Amen. And I know what you can do. And uh, he notice here, he starts pulling out all the stops. Like he's pulling out all the history. He's referring to um, he's referring to uh, well, he starts out there, he was like, You come from 
uh, where's Taman and the Holy One from the Mount of Paran. These, we don't know exactly where these places are, but we know that they're south of Jerusalem. Right. And so what he is saying is, is this is reference to Egypt and, and to coming out of bondage. And he's remembering back now, and he's talking about basically the history of the nation and how the nation has, how God has, through all of their trials, always come through for them. Yeah. And uh, like to, to the point to where he's even saying, was your wrath even against the rivers if they got in our way or if they stopped us? And think about that. When Joshua crossed the River Jordan, it was on dry ground. Right. I mean, we often think about, you know, the the parting of the Red Sea. That wasn't the only parting of, of a great body of water. And Joshua so, did it. Yeah. So you've got all this stuff that he's referring to. The mountains saw you and writhed and raging waters swept on. Uh, man, it's just like, oh, he makes reference to Joshua's battle at Gibeah. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. Remember, God used the the very meteors from the sky to deliver Joshua that day. Yeah. I love how he calls those the light of your arrows, like these meteors from the sky. Your arrows, God. They and and so all of this is being remembered, and he's basically saying you went out for the salvation of your people. Right. I, I mean, I just, my favorite verses in here, even though chapter two has houses the key verse, mm-hmm. my favorite verses in here are verses 17 through 19. Yes. Where he basically says, listen, even though nothing good will go our way, we're still going to worship God. I know. And this is, this is a lesson that we can all take from this. So you have to stop and ask yourself in your in your life right now, are the fig trees not blossoming? Is there not fruit on your vines? You know, it, uh, are your olive trees failing to produce? Are your fields failing to produce? Uh, it, do you have a lack of food? Do you, uh, all these things that he is saying, there's no, there's no flock in our fold. There's no herds in our stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord and right. take joy. In the God of my salvation. Uh, it's a direct correlation to Job 13, where Job says, though you kill me, though you slay me, still I will praise you. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is... Or even the last chapter of Job, where he says, I spoke of things too wondrous for me to know. And so I lay in sackcloth and ashes, and God is like, that is the moment. That's where he wants you. Right. That He wants you reliant on him. And so, oh man, this is so powerful. He's like, he makes my feet like the deer's and makes me tread on my high places. Mm. Can you really claim you're in a high place when you're at the lowest low, whenever you're being afflicted from every side, whenever you're struggling with depression, anxiety, and problems, and, and everything is coming in around you, and the walls are closing in, and he says, I'm gonna be like a deer in those wow. moments, in high places. I'm, like free yeah, and without any care. And this all echoes back to the same thing. The righteous shall live by faith. Isn't that what he's saying? Isn't that what Habakkuk is saying? Amen. My faith is going to carry me over all, all of, this. of this. Yeah, The righteous shall live by faith. And you know, that, that passage is quoted three times in our New Testament. Yeah. Three times. 
this this story, this this quote of God's from Habakkuk is brought into the New Testament and used to to show how we should grab a hold of our sanctification. Mm. Uh, Romans, in case you guys are wondering, Romans 1, verse 17, Galatians 3, verse 11, and Hebrews 10, verse 38. And what's cool is every one of those are used in a slightly different context. But the but the bottom line the is, power is still, still the same. That's right. The righteous shall live by faith. Whew. Good study, man. Awesome story. Awesome, uh, awesome lesson from Chabachach. <laughs> and uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You want to yeah. do some news? Yes. All right. And now, the news. Well, a new survey has just come out that says that just 10% of Americans hold basic Christian beliefs. Only 10%. Just 10%. Within the last decade, it's been reported that 70% of Americans identify as Christians. But when it comes to actually living out those beliefs, well, the percentage gets lower. A new study out of the American Culture and Faith Institute has revealed that while 70% of Americans identify as Christians, only 10% hold basic Christian beliefs. The director of the study, Barna, explained to Christianity Today, our research collected information from attitudes and behaviors related to to practical matters like lying, cheating, stealing, pornography, the nature of God, and the consequences of unresolved sin. That's what makes the discrepancy between the percentage of people who consider themselves to be Christian more than 7 out of every 10, and those who have biblical worldview, just 1 out of every 10. So alarming. Wow. Well, hmm. it's without knowing the exact questions they ask, that's kind of hard to get your mind around. I would like to actually see the, the question. Well, yeah, because, uh, like, for example, it's talking about lying, cheating, st- uh, pornography, things like that. Were they asking, do you do these things? Right. Because if that's what they're asking... Then I'm not a Christian. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> a, that's not a good barometer exactly. because Christians have struggled with sin as well. well yeah. So, um, but if they're saying, are those things okay... Now if, I, now, if a person uh, acknowledges, hey, all that's fine, I don't have a, you know, if you want to do that, no no big deal. No big deal, yeah. Well, then that's probably not a converted soul. Right, and a good indication that they don't understand Christian values. Right. So, anyways, just 10%, though, that's pretty shocking to me. It's an amazing uh, fact there. All right. It's good. North Korea launched four missiles into the water near Japan. Da-da-da, they did it again. Oh, it's on the roll. Yep. Um, they they launched missiles into the water. The test happened while the U.S. and South Korea... That's almost embarrassing, right? Right. (laughs) Oops. The test happened. I was like, oh, what was that supposed to be? Ooh, scary. Yeah. Come at me, bro. You got them to the ocean. (laughs) Nice job. (laughs) Wow. The test happened while the U.S. and South Korea were doing their annual joint military exercises. North Korea often retaliates to these joint exercises. They seem uh, that as practice runs for invading North Korea with mission missile tests. So yeah. they're like, eh, don't invade us. We'll shoot a missile at you. <laughs> so, name him. I mean, it's, yeah, it's more and more the same. Wow. I can't believe you brought that up. <laughs> so it's Lent season. It is. What, uh, what did you give, give up for Lent? <laughs> I didn't give up anything specifically. Well, there's been a, uh, I love this. There's been a research on Twitter 
that uh, from 73,000 tweets, they've analyzed what people have given up the top 100 favorite things that they've given up for Lent. Great. Okay. Pornography. No. (laughs) So these are the... (laughs) Number one is fast food. And not even just fast food. Number one on fast food is McDonald's, followed by Chipotle, then Taco Bell. Oh, so you got to be specific. Chick-fil-A, Dunkin' Donuts, Whataburger, In-N-Out, Domino's, and KFC. That's pretty good advertising, actually. (laughs) It is. I'm going to give it up for a lick. Like, whoa, I made number two. (laughs) Social networking is one of the biggest. Oh. Twitter is one of the biggest. You know, that's that's actually a pretty big commitment for most people. Oh, yeah. I mean, these days, I mean, to, to, to commit to how long is Lent? 40 days? 40 days. I don't, I don't know. Something That's, like that. I'm sorry. I'm too Protestant to know. Ecclesiastical. <laughs> right. Soda, swearing, alcohol, chocolate, beer, sex. Mm. <laughs> is that premarital extra? Oh, I mean, what are they? I'm going to give sex up for lit. God's <laughs> like, until you get married, why don't you just give it up totally? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. I'm like, what is this? Married people saying this? <laughs> Which would be really funny. Then they would go, all right, honey. <laughs> sorry. We're giving it up for lit. <laughs> I'm giving up my fare for lint. Yeah. Whatever. Okay, whatever. There you go. <laughs> Wow. That's hilarious. So anyways, what are you giving up for Lint? Why don't you holler into us? I've I've done Lint before. I've given up ice cream and stuff like that. Yeah, it's great. Ketosis for Lint. Yeah, ketosis for Lint. Well, here's the thing I, that I, I don't know about all that. I mean, how much of that is true reverence and how much of it is... Wanting to lose weight? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's kind of like New Year's resolutions. Or yeah, whatever. definitely. Well, I'm sure that there's a, I mean, I don't know. I'm of two minds about the whole thing because I think it's a good thing if, if it's devotion, like if it's true devotion, then do it. Bam. Yeah. But it's like my problem with it is when you have a fixed time and all that sort of thing, it's almost like a legalism in some ways. Oh yeah. Because you feel obligated Mm -hmm. to do it. And therefore that's why fat Tuesday exists. Right. Right. Because it's like, Oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I'm going to have to just party it up. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm all about it. If it's, if it's, if it's, if it's devout. Right. Wow. It's done in love. The righteous shall live by faith. That's right. That's the truth. Uh, All right. So Trump's revised bill, the refugee ban won't prioritize persecuted Christians. His first one did prioritize persecuted Christians. What, countries that persecuted Christians? Yeah. Christians fleeing the Middle East will not take first priority under the updated version of President Donald Trump's executive order on travel and refugees, which he signed Monday morning after weeks of debate and holdups from federal court. The new order does away with explicit language about prioritizing religious minorities, as well as loosens Trump's initial limits on who's allowed to enter the United States. Current visa holders, refugees already granted asylum, and travelers from Iraq no longer face restrictions, and the indefinite ban on refugees from Syria was review- reduced to 120 days, same as the overall ref- refugee population. The executive order goes into place next Thursday. While most white evangelicals approve of Trump's temporary mem- uh, moratorium on refugees, 
Those directly involved with resettlement efforts voice concerns. So what do you think about the travel man? Um, Should I even I'm, ask that here? Well, no, I just don't really have much of an opinion about it. I mean, I think there's pros and cons to it. Um, I think that the... I think where it's coming from is actually from a national security standpoint. And sure. And I get that. So, I mean, I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, no, it's racism and it's, it's, you know, I don't think it's any of that. I think that it is truly a national security concern. I do too. And, um, I mean, I'd go back to the whole thing about, you know, how you treat your own home and how you treat your own, uh, I mean, people, People lock up their stuff, man. Right. And they don't let just any anybody in. I mean, that's just how we act. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just an extension of that. So That's pretty much all I got, dude. That's it? That's it. <laughs> I can do it today well, in church history. You want me to do that real quick, or do you... Yeah, let's do that. All right, today in church history. Let's hop in the TARDIS. Yeah, I haven't got to use fire up the TARDIS yet. Yeah, I know. It's on, been a, on it's the been new a thing. It's kind of loud. It's extremely loud. I'm kind of a scared right you now. You want to see how loud I can get it? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I love Doctor Who, by the way. Uh, I what just, a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exterminate. <laughs> it's an amazing show. Today in church history, Amy Carmichael kidnapped her first child. You lost me. I don't know who that is. Oh, my goodness. Well, Amy Carmichael was a kidnapper. I get that. Many times over. <laughs> in fact, on this day, March 6th, 1901, she sheltered her first temple runaway, a young girl dedicated to the Hindu gods and forced into prostitution to earn money from the, for the priest. Technically, that made her a kidnapper. Over the years, Amy rescued many other children, often on the, co- on the cost of extreme exhaustion and personal danger. When she rescued five-year-old Kohila, the child's guardians wanted her back. Amy refused to return the little girl and uh, to certain abuse. Instead, she arranged for her dis- to disappear to a safe place. The plot was discovered. Prosecutions were brought against Amy. She faced seven years in prison. Oh, wow. Amy Carmichael is one of the greatest uh, missionaries to uh, India that has ever lived. Um, an amazing That's cool. woman who just saw the need to go and rescue these little girls. And that's what she did. She wow. spent her life doing it. So anyways, today was the first time that she stole a kid. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I love that story. Amy Carmichael's amazing. You should study her. It's good yeah, good, that's good, cool. Good missionary. Well, there's actually a lot of... Uh, Oh man, man, there is a lot of um, a slew of that thing still happening all over oh, the place, yeah. right? That's the truth. And there's a lot of good uh, missions out there that are geared toward, you know, fixing this. Right. I keep hitting my microphone. You do. I think that's a sign. <laughs> it's a sign that we're done. I think I'm done. <laughs> I don't think I can do anything else. Okay. Well, where's my script? I don't know. Where's mine? You got your it's over here somewhere. Script. Yeah. Okay, so uh, last week it sounded like the background music was about right, but I think it was a little low. Do we not have any uh, comments or voicemail? Nope, not this week. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised. Give us comments and voicemail, guys. Yeah. Give yeah. us give us some feedback. Yeah, we'll say that in a second as we start these yeah, outros that, right. That's what it's about, right? About so now. The, the, 
theonauts yes, them. are part of the Great Commission Transmission that Network. Thing. Uh-huh. Using new media and social networking. That means the internet. To go into all the world. That means the And world. to proclaim the good news. That's to Jesus everyone. Christ crucified. <laughs> to find out more, go to gctnetwork.com. That's a website. Subscribe to the newsletter. That's a newsletter. Stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema. That's and Michael the, and Brendan. And the Secret Fire podcast. That's Michael Brendan and Michael's son. I forget his name. Micah. Micah. Thank yes. you. Uh, it's your turn. Is it my turn? <laughs> I thought we were just going to keep doing that. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher, and be sure to rate us because that helps us to reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Theonauts. If you like us. I like you. And you want more Theonauts. I want more of you. Drop us a buck or two. I don't have any money. At patreon.com slash Theonauts. Maybe if people gave that, I would have money. Yes, please do. (laughs) Yeah. Your it. patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of <laughs> with us. <laughs> All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, dude. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972 972- Eight eight five seven two seven zero. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission at gctnetwork.com. This is your great commission transmission. You're the worst congregation member. <laughs> you ain't worth fifteen cents. I ain't worth fifteen cents. <laughs>